Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. of MTAS Radio. Our purpose is to empower you by providing you with information and conversations like the one you'll hear today that will make you think and ultimately lead to actions where actions are so desperately needed. If you're out there in social media world, why don't you like us on Facebook now by Googling M-T-A-S for short. Or you can also find us online by going to www.m-tas.org. That's right, folks, you can find us on Facebook, like our page, engage us in conversation as we'll endeavor to do the same. And for all of your thoughts, views, and opinions, as always, each and every Sunday, 5.30 Central Standard Time, you can dial 718 718- Five zero eight nine five three three seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. That is the number to call for your all of your thoughts, views, and opinions, folks. While you're out there on the web, do not hesitate to uh, go to the resource tab, folks. Go to the resource tab. We aim to be an online community that is resourceful. And while you're out there on the resource tab, be sure to read about. Protecting your families with the freedom, comfort, and security that life insurance provides. Folks, keep in mind, millions of Americans are currently running the risk of losing their life insurance protection by only having protection on their jobs or living without protection to begin with. If that is your situation, we certainly um, don't want that to remain your situation, so here's what we want you to do. Why don't you call my office direct Monday through Fridays by calling 773-881-9555. Again, you can reach me or a licensed life insurance representative to talk with you about protecting your families. Folks, this is serious business here, so why don't you take down this number again, 773-881-9555. And remember, this hour is being brought to you each and every Sunday, um, 5.30 Central Standard Time, by yours truly, John Green, and American Family Insurance. Always good to come to you, coming to you from the Windy City, like it's um, starting to uh, rain out there today, Uh, we've been um, having some um, great weather. Um, if you guys enjoy the sun, uh, I sure do. So um, enjoy it while you can, right? Enjoy it while you can. Uh, folks, last week was a great conversation, uh, great conversation. We got the party. Well, the um, various callers got in kind of late, so hopefully today we get the party started a little earlier. We get the party started a little earlier today. Uh, we certainly want to do that, but um, last week's conversation was a dynamic conversation. We talked about manhood, masculinity, and um, gender intelligence, right? So um, if you folks missed that conversation, um, 
Let me give you the website again. Go to the radio tab this time, www.m-tas. That's how you can um, download the download the various conversations that we're having on a week-to-week basis. And, folks, we've been doing this for quite some time, so there's um, – Quite a bit of um, information out there, a lot of um, different conversations on a, a lot of different subject matter. We certainly try to raise questions that we think that you might find interesting and that um, you folks might find engaging, um, certainly things that we should be thinking about. Um, again, last week we talked about uh, masculinity, masculinity, uh, manhood, and gender intelligence, how um, how the various genders can borrow different um strong points if you will from the opposite sex uh, uh share with the uh with you folks that uh one article point out uh made the point that gender intelligent men gender intelligent men uh one of the things that gender intelligent men do they listen differently they lead differently and they learn differently so as we um as we have today's conversation which will be an extension of um, last week's show, uh, we certainly want to get your thoughts, views, and opinions on um, today's subject, folks. We're talking defining manhood. We're talking uh, again a, 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 an extension of last week's conversation, um, defining manhood. What are men taught about manhood, and what is it that women believe? So let's try that again. That's what we're talking about today, as we extend um, last week's conversation on gender, um, gender intelligence, and manning up. Right. For those of you folks who missed the show, uh, again, definitely go back and check it out. Um, you will be in for a treat because when we talk about uh, families and we talk about communities and what's, what's taking place in the country relative to police brutality and police violence or violence violence in various neighborhoods across the country, um, part of it we have to dissect this notion or this idea of manhood and masculinity and how um, part of what happens might be a reflection of what many believe about manhood, right? Um, some folks don't get that um, there's there's other ways to resolve conflict other than resorting to um, the gun, if you will, other than resorting to the gun. Um, conflict, other ways to resolve conflict and to resolve them more peacefully. Um, sometimes it might be in the best interest of individuals to um, simply just walk away. Simply just walk away. Um, before we closed out yesterday's show, I recounted a situation that took place here in the city of Chicago. Um, Well-known um, high school basketball player by the name of Ben Wilson. I had to be roughly about um, fourth or fifth grade um, during the time of his murder. And um, and one of the things that uh, and, re- and, and, and I believe it was roughly about two years ago there was a documentary done about his life and I recounted the story last week for those of you who was not with me. Um and we in in this documentary was quite interesting in the sense that it just didn't highlight Ben's Wilson Ben, ben Wilson's life. What it did was it talked about or gave the uh, point of view of the shooter, the killer. And um Here's what he said, you know, um, he was a little bit re- reluctant about um, doing the interview, um, as you can imagine, but he was a kid at the time, 15, 16 years old, um, and now I believe this guy is in his 40s or whatever, yeah, late 40s. Um, so he's, cer- he's certainly a different person today than he was back then. But one of the things that he said was he said he was instructed by the older men in his life um, that if you take out a gun, you use it. So um, with those type of I, with that idea in his in his head, when he took out the gun after having a little pushing match with um, Ben, as I understand it, um, he he had to use the gun in his in his mind. He was told that if you take out the gun, you use it. I guess that's how um, maybe that's the way he was. Instructed in the area of manhood, maybe that's the way he—that's the way he was instructed in the area of protecting yourself 
um, yourself and things of that nature. So last week I said, I don't know if there's something um, entirely wrong with manhood in America today, but maybe it's something um, interesting in the way it's being represented to um, younger men and older men. Right, especially if you think about what he, what um, what that gentleman said in reference to Ben Wilson. He was a kid, fourteen, fifteen years old at the time. I mean, um, why do you, why would you tell a a kid that? Hey, first of all, a kid shouldn't have a gun to begin with. Let's start there. Um, then, secondly, uh, we instruct them if you if you pull one out, you use it. Uh, that's probably not the lesson that we should um, be. That's probably not the lesson that we should be teaching. So, folks, as we have this conversation about um, defining manhood, what men are taught and what women believe, let's think about um, the various examples that come to mind from your standpoint. Again, seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. Uh press one folks and we'll certainly um get you in as quickly as possible as we um as we examine as we examine manhood in America, as we examine um what women believe about manhood. Uh, I believe there was a caller who called in, uh, I believe it was Alan, I believe it was um, Alan who um, called in last week and he began to recount the culture of football, began to explain to us by way of football what takes place in that setting and how um, in that world there's a difference. There's there's a difference between being injured and being hurt. And he recounted that for us. He Talked about how the culture of football. Um, they're taught that if you're if you're injured, you can play. I'm sorry, if you're hurt, you can play. But if you're injured, um, maybe you need to sit it out. Um, that sort of thing. Um, that's the culture of football, right? And um, certainly, we tend to use use our sports to communicate all sorts of messages. And there's in sports, if you will, a lot of times that's nothing more than a microcosm of the larger culture in terms of what you learn uh, while playing sports and what's being communicated to us uh, when we're watching um, the various games that are being played, um, things of that nature, right? Um, certainly it teaches um, um, competition. It teaches goal setting. It teaches teamwork. Um, and many would say it also teaches a great deal of ag- aggression as well. But um, you don't have to, but you don't start with overanalyzing the sport itself. Um, let's look at the society. Let's look at the culture. Um, the coach that I made reference to um, last week, Urban. Um, Coach Urban, he was saying in reference to Ray Rice as he began to give commentary as to what took place between Ray Rice and his wife, um, one of the points that he made was he said that um, domestic violence, right, we remember the NFL was under a spotlight there for a moment uh, as it relates to domestic violence and and their handling of the Ray Rice situation, right? Um, We saw the tape, um, he from the, from the, from witnessing the tape, he punched his wife, and she was out cold, if you will. He dragged her from the elevator, that sort of thing, right? You guys recall. Uh, but he makes the point, Coach Ehrman, he makes the point that this was not an NFL problem. When you talk about violence, when you talk about abuse, when you talk about aggression, that some some males tend to display towards um, women that this is an American problem and this is something that needs to be um, addressed. Uh, and men, um, he points out, has 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 to rethink, has to begin to rethink how we as men understand manhood, how we. Um, uh, we must begin to learn how to channel our energy and our aggression um, in a more positive and productive and constructive way. So he makes that point, and he makes it very succinctly um, in, in talking about Ray Rice and it not being an NFL uh, problem per se, but a cultural um, issue, a cultural issue as to how men um, – 
understand manhood. I believe it was Andrew who called in last week, and he talked about uh, the importance of family, the importance of family in terms of who, who do we get these message, messages from and how do we come to um come to understand these various ideas. Uh, one caller said, who makes the rules? I think that's an excellent question. He asked me, uh, before we begin to talk about gender gender intelligence and manning up and things of that nature, well, who makes the rules and what? who are we trying to model our behavior um after, if you will, uh, when we talk about manning up and manhood um, and things of that nature, right? And I think those are very interesting questions. Who makes the rules? Is it nature that makes the rule, rules when it comes down to masculinity and manhood? Or do we make it up as we go, right? I think that's important to think about, right? Um Another point that came out of that conversation, I think it was a very great point, is that um, masculinity uh, masculinity and manhood, depending on what type of household you came from and who your father was, who your mother was, who your family is, uh, it means something different to different individuals. So... Um, one father might might allow a son, if you will, to be very expressive in terms of emotions and, and the ranges of emotion, while another father uh, might not necessarily feel that comfortable with allowing their um, his male son to be as expressive in the various ranges of human emotion, right? Um, so they might tell you, hey, you know, dry those tears or quit crying or whatever the case may be. And oftentimes, sometimes it might you might get that message is at four. <laughs> you might get that message at four, and uh, you know that that might be a little bit too young to get those messages. So, folks, seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. Folks, press one. We'll certainly get you in. I definitely want to um, engage you as as we analyze and we talk about. Um, the culture of manhood as is as it's being represented today and how we think about how uh, violence could be connected or attached to our various beliefs about uh manhood and masculinity right um you know do do men know hey it's okay just to walk away it's okay not to necessarily res- result uh result to a physical confrontation with someone just because there's a disagreement or argument or whatever the case may be um there's other ways to resolve uh, problems other than um uh, other than uh, a physical converse- confrontation as i said earlier so what where, where does all of this aggression come from? You know, and that's what we have to think about. Where does it all come from, um, and how can we better channel um, this aggression, if you will? And sometimes is that the reason why we see a heightened sense of violence in certain communities? What is that all about? Can we help young men um, better understand this notion of masculinity and manhood, and could, uh, and by doing that, could that possibly be the answer or part of the answer to help reduce what you see taking place in various communities across the country? So um, that's what we're talking about here today, folks. Um, and certainly, family is important. Certainly, family has to be the um, everything begins at home. We get that. But when we talk about home today and when we talk about family today, I think that we can't um, just say that as if that is um, a magic bullet, and particularly where we sit today in American culture because family means it seems to mean something different today. Um, even as we begin to rethink marriage in our culture and who can who can participate in marriage and things of that nature. As as um, I was just reading an article earlier today, it, it raised the issue: Are men becoming obsolete? What is it all about? Right? People are beginning beginning to question. Um, not the value of men per se, but the role of men today versus yesteryear. Um, have those roles, have what the role that men play in families today and society today, um, has those, have those roles changed? Um, and uh, in what ways 
have they changed? You know, uh, more and more you find men who are uh, participating in um, domestic type of work, uh, helping out more within the home, um, that sort of thing. You talked about if you were to rewrite maybe um, 25, 50 years ago, you wouldn't find um, you wouldn't find men of this culture needing to have some of the same skills and skill set that men are required to have today, i.e. even something as fundamental as communication, the importance of communication, right? Um, You talk to a lot of women, um, communication is important to them, being able to hold a conversation, that sort of thing, Uh, being um, not only aware of their emotions and their feelings, but um, being concerned about them. Um, what what is this terminology that this guy used? I thought it was. Um, I actually looked it up, and maybe you folks are familiar with it. I believe it. This is the pronunciation. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'll spell it. Uh, Alexithemia. If you guys are, if anybody out there is, is a um, clinician, um, definitely help me out if I mispronounce the word. But I'll spell it. It's A L E. X-I-T-H-Y-M-I-A. I'm going to give you a definition as to what that word means shortly. I'm trying to find it real quick. But an interesting word that was used by Coach Ehrman um, in describing um, men of this culture. He, and he, I don't know where he get his numbers from, but one of the things that he said was... Um, in explaining this, here's what the word means. Again, alexithemia. <laughs> Sounds right to me. But he said, it is personally construct, it is a personality construct characterized by the subclinical inability to identify and describe emotions in, in the self. The core characteristic of alexithemia are Mark dysfunctional and emotional awareness, social attachment, and interpersonal relating. Furthermore, in- individuals suffering from alexithemia also have difficulty in distinguishing and appreciating the emotions of others, um, which is thought to lead to unempathet- unempathetic and ineffective emotional responding. So um, he talked about um, a lot of men um, suffering from this. Um, an inability to um, identify and describe emotions um, in the self and an inability um, to identify or relate to the emotions of others. So that very thing that allows one um, to be empathetic, he says that um, we teach men not to um, be able to relate. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was um, Shalanda who made the point last week that um, um, sometimes we teach boys um, to remove themselves from their emotions. And by teaching that, that's what the, that's the point um, that the coach was making. By teaching young men to think that way and to... Um, um, I guess, suppress their emotions, that we're developing in them um, a lack of empathy. And that couldn't be a good thing. That couldn't be a good thing, or we at least have to understand the trade-off that's involved when we begin to take that approach towards rearing of children. Folks, what are we talking about today? We're talking about defining manhood, what men are taught and what women believe, right? Um, we we talked about last week that uh, many men are taught in our culture that their self-worth, their self-worth is connected to their net worth. Where did that come from? What is that about? Do you guys believe that? Do you guys believe uh, that uh, when you talk about manhood, masculinity, when you're in the market, if you will, ladies, if you're out there listening, if you're in the market, if you will, for a suitable mate, a suitable spouse, someone to date, someone to um, become a life partner with, um, how how much do the issue of economics come into um, the realm of influence, if you will, right? Because this gentleman, um, Coach Ehrman, he said men are taught that 
their self-worth, their self-worth is connected to their net worth, what type of job they have, um, what type of career they have. I should have said job, career, however you want to think about it. Um, what's your job title? Uh, what school did you attend? What neighborhood did you do you live in? Um, is that what it's about? And um, Coach Urban, he kind of said that men need to rethink that when he when it come down to masculinity and, and manhood. But from now, that's a male talking. But are have, have women changed their thought process when it come down to that? Or or ladies, is that not something that you think about to begin with when you're t- when you're choosing? Uh, um, someone to date, someone to become a life partner or a potential spouse. Um, how much does the net worth piece come into play? And do you, is that how you keep scores with a man? Is that how you personally keep score with a man, right? Because some men are being taught that, hey, you know what, let's start, let's begin to push that to the side and begin to identify with some other things that's that's just as important to uh, manhood and masculinity as um, economic uh, economic strength, if you will. Certainly we understand if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. We certainly understand that a, a man should be prepared to um, support his, first support himself, then support his family, um, and that sort of thing. So I want to know what's on your mind, folks. I want to know what's on your mind as we talk about defining manhood, uh, what men are taught, and what women believe. Um, And also the coach talked about uh, the whole sexual conquest piece, the whole sexual conquest piece, and men identifying masculinity uh, with that aspect of um, the biology, if you will. But, folks, we have roughly about 30 minutes left in the conversation. We have roughly about 30 minutes left in the conversation. So um, don't stay on the sideline. If you got something on your mind, press 1. We'll certainly get you in. I'm coming to the call now as we have this conversation about defining manhood, what men are taught, and what women believe. Um, 718-508-9533. Um, call what's on your mind as we have this important conversation about masculinity and manhood in America. Are you speaking with me? Oh, okay. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Just sound like this, Andrew. How you doing, kind speaking. sir? I'm, I'm, I'm living. Great thing. Good stuff. Well, that's the, well, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Hey, I, well, I appreciate you calling in um, as always, and um, definitely last week was um, an interesting conversation. I definitely want to pick back up and uh, extend the conversation. I was um, told that we kind of cut off a little bit. Um, kind of soon there, and um, the conversation just got heated up and warm um, warm there. So um, as we begin to extend the conversation and pick back up on some of the things that you talked about even last week, um, or maybe you want to come in on something you heard me say today, but here's what I heard you say last week in closing. Uh, I believe it was Alan who made the point of the whole football culture and connecting that to manhood and masculinity, and he said that it's, it's said in football if, you, if you're hurt, you can play, and if you're injured, then um, maybe you, you shouldn't play, that sort of thing. And he had a certain way of looking at it. And I, when I came back to you, you said it wasn't enough time for you to kind of explain what that whole ideology is about. But I definitely want to give you an opportunity to do that and connect that to uh, what we're talking about today in terms of defining manhood and masculinity. Well, certainly what I would do is try to keep it as succinct as possible. When you're dealing with sports, one aspect of sports is it develops character. It's a character-building activity. It builds camaraderie. It installs and instills a level of discipline for anyone who uh, participates. And another thing that it also installs and instills within participants of those sports, it teaches them to persevere. Now, all of those hallmarks, all of those characteristics, if you develop those at an optimal level, will benefit just about anyone in anything they do in their lives. So, therefore, when you get up in the morning and, and, and you didn't get a good night's sleep and you're suffering and you need the will, the, the, the gumption, you need every muster of every fiber in your body to get up and go be on time at your job and to execute your job at an optimal level, you have to pull that from somewhere. Now, some people don't get training at home, and some people just don't, through a natural innate drive, have that. 
What you get for a peripheral thing like sports is the ability to overcome. And one thing that helps you to overcome is when you are obligated to teammates that you need to show up and play even though you are hurting. Hurting is different from injured. Injured is a, Being injured is a medical diagnosed thing where you are incapable of playing. But if you are hurt, whatever sport you play, and it's just not football. This is baseball, basketball, volleyball, anything that you're talking about in team sports or any sports, whatever. Most people play with some level of being hurt. Again, being injured is something else. And if you can persevere, show up not only for your teammates, show up because of the principle of the fact that I need to participate, this builds a level of character. And we're certainly not saying do things that will have a long-term deleterious effect to your body psychologically, physiologically, emotionally. But we're saying if you're capable of pushing through, push through because this will only enhance and help you in building the character necessary to do those exact same things when it's time for you to be disciplined at home with your wife, children, and things of that nature, or showing up when you didn't have the strength to show up at a child's play, it will help you to build character to be able to move beyond it if you don't have it naturally or it's not taught to you. Mm. Now tell me this, Andrew. At, at some point, does that um, does that idea or that kind of ideology does it does it um, do sometimes? Can we take that to the extreme? I know, and I know I, I shouldn't use movies or whatever. I, I remember watching a movie, and I don't know if this takes place in in in, in sports. Um, in real life, um, it was any given Sunday, and you see um, the the men how they're pushing through the the hurt or the pain, and they're taking shots to get to get back on the field because they're looking for that big payday, or you know they're you know they're just moments away from inking that big deal. So is is that just the movies, or is that part of the the, the culture that Alan was alluding to? Well, what's part of the culture? That's part of life. What about the man who works at a steel foundry in 100, where, where it's, it's 100 degrees outside, but inside the plant it may be 140 degrees? They're exhausted. It's a deleterious effect long-term for those men, but you know what they have to do? They have to keep pushing through. What about child labor laws when they work children to, to almost death? Those children had to persevere, and at some point, someone, they took it over the top, but at some point, Someone had to recognize it was deleterious to the child's well-being, but when they were doing it, they were utilizing it. At some point, you have to overcome those obstacles that are in your way because one thing about life, life is life, and it's difficult, and it will get you if you're not prepared for it and if you can't soldier through it. Mm. Now, I definitely follow you. It's, it's certainly no walk in the park, so um, you got to do what you got to do. And uh, oftentimes we see um uh, Mothers uh, persevering and doing the same thing. What are your thoughts about um, this whole idea of one's self-worth being connected to their net worth and uh, and masculinity and manhood um, having some association with um, economic stability or economic strength? Because I think that's the point: the strength of a male uh, of a man, economically speaking. What, what's your thoughts about that? I have no problem with that. I, I don't know if the, uh, if the author who uh, made these points had an issue with it. But, again, we all signal and badge in some way, shape, or form. One way, and, and historically, to make a long story short, if you go back to a tribe, the tribe has a hierarchy. Either you got the largest feathers, the most colorful feathers, but there's a distinguishing factor if you are in a tribe. That's the exact same way as people who are now intelligent, who used to be beat up, called nerds, things of that nature, now have a place in society where they can, through their ability of using their brain power, have meaningful and gainful employment so that they can start a family, so that they can win the woman where it doesn't have to be a physical match. So that's another component part where others get a chance to participate in a system to be able to serve their interests. So if it's money, wealth, all of us try to find some way to be recognized to show that we have value in the system, in a society. You've got wonderful hair. You've got long, luscious legs if you're a woman. All of us are trying to show our wares 
to that so hopefully that someone will find that attractive and that from that attraction we can be able to develop and do something. So if a man just has if he has his best fronts, like they used to say a long time ago, his best fronts is not his automobile, but his fronts is his pocketbook, so be it. That's his front. <laughs> No, I get you on that. Now, uh, I think Coach Urban, his point was one self worth, and I don't, I don't want to gloss over that. He said your self worth being connected to your net worth. Now, uh, do you think it's overkill if one place all, all, all their sense of worthiness uh, based upon money and economics, or do you, do you see that as being damaging um, or dangerous? I think that's his point. And I, and I sort of get well, it. If well, in fact, if all of if if you put such a um, emphasis on there on on that and that alone. Well, I think my my previous answer covers that, but I'll expand a little bit more because if you think your self worth is your long luxurious hair, which people do, and that's something that they feel proud about, that is okay. That's okay for them. Now, what we like to do, and I say we, is it's most people. They like to overgeneralize to try to give the example of the extreme. A lot of people have whatever their, whatever their pluses are, they try to emphasize that. Now, everyone doesn't use their pluses as something that's an extreme. And those that do it, certainly that is a negative. We can right now today, we all of us know that our bodies are made up of primarily about 85% water, fluid. But we can drink too much water and die. Anything in excess will kill you or hurt you or be deleterious to you. We're talking about anything within measure. And, again, if you judge things on the extremes, you will get extreme answers. I try to deal with the standard deviation or normal distribution where probably 68% of people will exist in. Most people who make money make a decent living, intelligent. They want to stand strong on their ability to be able to make money and to be able to provide and to impress the opposite sex or, in this day and time, the same sex if they are homosexual or whatever, whatever they have to do to impress someone else and for themselves to feel good about themselves, on a normal plane, it is absolutely okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely get your point. Um, and, and obviously he certainly was looking at the extreme um, case by way of saying that men who um, they totally identify um, their self-worth being attached to their net worth, and certainly that he was using extreme cases, but you're saying that you know, certainly there's extreme cases in anything that you can do, and certainly you can go to the extreme. But let's, let's deal with the average. And is that the is that what the average male is thinking? And in, in, uh, when it comes down to his his self worth or his worthiness um, and things of that nature, but I certainly could see the damaging effects of that if in fact um, if in fact males within our culture don't identify with anything else. Sometimes people, sometimes um, you might have males in the culture. That uh, might value economic strength to the to the extent of um, um, damaging their family relationships or or other relationships that might be equally important to one's well being and um, the society in general. So I think that was his point in terms of analyzing it and making sure that um, that we're not going to the extreme when it comes down to um, economic strength and putting things in this pro proper place. And I didn't want to. Uh, misrepresent what he was talking about or misrepresent his position, I definitely think it was something that, that was worth um, at least analyzing and considering. He also talked about the sexual conquest of men, sexual conquest of men, and that's how men are um, communicated within um, the culture in terms of the, um, the most women and things of that nature. And um, can you connect that to anything that's biological uh, that has actually been transferred to us in our generation when 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 he talks about sexual conquest is there any historical or biological um um connection there andrew it is it is a strong connection biologically sociologically there is a strong connection but and historically there's a strong connection again when we have gentlemen like the gentleman who made these points I think if there was, there was a little bit more specificity in what he was discussing or if it, it, it's not touched on, I think we come out with a skewed perspective to some degree. 
sexual conquest has always been been something associated with male species, no matter if it's a kangaroo, no matter if it's a bird, no matter if it's human beings. It's just placed different relative to humanity versus some of the lower forms of animals. If we go back to the, the Puritan times, if we can go back to the Elizabethan times, we can go back to the Renaissance. Men have always established their worth and their society place by their conquest with women. This is nothing new. He's talking about this thing, well, well I'm listening to it, He's talking about it and making reference to it like this is a new concept. Now, if he's saying that he would like to see the emphasis change to some degree, I would tell him good luck because the more you change things, the more they stay the same. It would just be a different way of presenting it. But men are going to chase women until women catch them. And believe me, in their own way, women have the same conquest goals, but they're just a little bit different. That's why women catch men in the long run when men are chasing them. Mm-hmm. Now tell me this, uh, as we begin to think about um, masculinity and manhood today, um, today, and I'm using that term very loosely, uh, versus how uh, it was perceived, whatever, 50 years ago, do you, do you, do you think that um, men today, that we have to have different we have to come to the table with a different um, set of skills, if you will, in terms of communication and, and things of that nature. Has society changed to that degree in terms of males positioning within families, within homes, within the society in general? I referenced the article earlier, and it, and it talked about males not necessarily being obsolete, but there are roles changing in terms of our uh, what's needed from us domestically, what's needed from us by way of communication, things of that nature. So are we required to have a different skill set to be successful in today's uh, relationships when we talk about manhood and masculinity? Well, I, the way I would answer that, John, again, I'll go back to what I said in the previous con- uh, conversation. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Historically, in case some people are not familiar, we were hunters and gatherers and things of that nature. Males went on hunt. They didn't communicate a lot, only through signals and things of that nature. Women stayed and did more administrative types of things. They were in the society talking to each other. Men couldn't afford to do that, or a prey animal might turn and kill them if they know that they're there. They communicated a whole different way. These are what we would call uh, those paramount differences that exist, and we have also called them in industry divisions of labor. Now, we're still going to have a relationship between males and females, but males are going to typically communicate at the level that they've been uh, communicating at for millions of years. You don't change millions of years of genetic print imprinting overnight just because we're in the 21st century because now you'll probably have more communications with males than you ever have in the technological society that we have probably influences that there's a little bit more communication, but you can go and poll from Mademoiselle magazine to any Essence magazine, and most women at some level complain about their male not communicating. And I'm saying until something absolutely dramatically changes, most men will not communicate at a high level. There are always exceptions to the rule and significant numbers of males who communicate because we have to do that in this society that we live in. But as part and parcel of who we are as males, and females communicate at the level that they communicate, and we're going to still do that, and males will never be obsolete as long as we need them for procreation and as long as they are the strongest of the sexes. Mm. Yeah, well, interesting enough, certainly uh, males will certainly not be obsolete when you look at it from that standpoint, but how about when you look at it from the standpoint of of, of women today desiring marriage, seeking marriage, and um, choosing to re- to stay in marriages and things of that nature. Uh, when you look at the 50% divorce rate that take place in this in this country, does any of that uh, reflect um, um, males, uh, the need for men to change, even by way of communication, I'm, I'm, as you talked about communication? I'm sure that there's a reflection of that, but that is what we are designed to do. If you dig down to the core of the genetics of what we are as human beings, 
and to not have inbreeding, so to speak, we are designed to interchange and to change relationships. 50% divorce rate, but you know what you have to look at also that people don't take it, take advantage of to look at is that the remarrying rate. Because even though they grow tired of this particular person that they're with, they end up marrying someone else. That's the general population. Now, what happens in the African-American community, that's a whole other study and subject altogether. But you look at most other cultures, they get remarried. And that's the question you have to ask yourself after that. 50% divorce rate, but all of the, most, the overwhelming majority of them get remarried because this is something that we're inculcated to do. Get remarried are and have those relationships. Successful? Yeah, I get that. They remarry, but are those relationships successful? Because we're still talking about the success of a relationship, not just the, the entering of a relationship. Well, there's so no nirvana. Talking... The, last, what, I, the only thing I would say to that, John, real quick, that there's no nirvana. And we're going to talk about success rates relative to that. The male has to also be satisfied as well. This is not just one-dimensional about what females want. We don't live in a vacuum. This is what both parties want. And if they reach loggerheads and they can no longer stay together, the fundamental key is whether or not they get remarried in the society because this is what keeps our society going, that we continually build back upon a family structure. The family structure is what's important. Whether or not males and females are successful in their relationships, that you need to get together with marriage counselors and things of that nature and see if there's a more efficient way or a better way that they can stay together. But at the end of it, they get back with someone else because that is the natural thing to do. So no matter how much someone wants to complain, both sides have just enough to talk about in their complaints. It's just right now we're focusing on what ladies want because men have just as many complaints about females. No doubt about it. Maybe we can uh, talk about uh, some of those concerns and uh, needs and desires as well. Folks, we have 13 minutes left in the conversation, 718-508-9533, 718-508-9533. We're talking defining manhood, what men are taught and what uh, women um, believe. Yeah, we, as we talk about masculinity, um, Andrew, and the desires and needs of men, and you certainly are correct in saying that uh, men have concerns, um, Two, in addition to uh, women, and, and certainly sometimes a, a male might want out of a out of a situation, depending on what the situation may uh, may be. Um, you mentioned earlier about what takes place within the African American community, within the African American culture, relative to uh, remarrying, but. How do you process masculinity from a black male's perspective? Is it is it is it different um, than um, how masculinity is perceived in the um, in the larger culture, if you will? Well, I would certainly say that because there's a key number that exists, and that key number is that well, two key numbers. Over seventy percent of children are born out of wedlock. That means that there was no plan made to bring this child into the world with a family structure. And the next number that I look at, and I don't know what the exact number is nowadays, but it was somewhere around 62%, 64% of households are headed up by single females. You have a key dynamic in the yin and yang of the family, the male and female, that is missing. 50%. That male is no longer in the house, so where is the male going to learn those small idiosyncrasies and some of the key core factors of being a male from. He's not certainly not going to learn from his mother. And as well, going back to the females, because I like to be balanced in my approach, where does the young lady look at to get guidance from a father in the home to see how a father should treat their mother and treat them and to show them the love that they need and to show them what true masculinity is as well. So you have a key component missing out of the home when 60% of the children are raised in a home with just a single family. And, the, and in some urban areas, it gets so high, John, as up to 90% in some cities where children are born out of wedlock. So the children are behind the eight ball. Masculinity is learned from their peer groups out in the street, randomly, television, and trying to guess from their mother. So, therefore, you're going to have a miscued and a skewed perspective of what will be productive and effective forms of manhood. So do you, would you say, based upon those numbers, in terms of the numbers that you just shared, um, in your mind, does that does that say to you that black men in America understand 
manhood and masculinity different than their white male counterpart? I would say at this particular point in time, now certainly what you have to, again, to kind of be as comprehensive as possible, we live in a society that gives us images, media, input, radio, television, print of what a man should be. So we don't live in a vacuum that's void of some of the positives, but the core injections of what a male should be is missing in African-American so-called community, and in particular in their homes. This is where people get your images from, your grounding images from within your home. And you made a statement earlier today about we all know that about family and things of that nature. What I'm suggesting to you is that we don't all know it. I'm saying there's a big void of understanding the primacy of family and how how important it is in developing young people and to inculcating images and ideas that are productive for people, and when that is missing, you're going to have all types of dysfunction, and that dysfunction is manifesting itself in what we see today in Chicago, St. Louis, any other city where males are out here conducting themselves in heinous fashions, and young ladies don't know how to conduct themselves as young ladies, and you just have a dog chasing his tail with no end in sight. Yes, um, uh, that's a very important point there. 718-508-9533, 718-508-9533, defining manhood, what men are taught and what women believe. Now, I get you, Andrew, when you, when you make the point of if the male is missing uh, and males being an important factor in terms of transmitting that information to uh, both male and female as to what men are and what uh, masculinity is all about, when you have that missing uh, component, you certainly um, create um, chaos and confusion. Um, that, that, that is a great point, um, and why we certainly um, need to need to actually examine masculinity and man and manhood in the African American community. Now, I, I get the the numbers, I get the behavior, but how about the ideology? Is the uh, is there a sheer ideology among the races relative to? Um, do I guess my point is. Do you think that, um, and I know I, I, this is probably a, a tough question for you, but do you think that um, black men in society today are comfortable with the numbers that you just mentioned, or are there some other factors that, that's driving those numbers? Are we patting each other on the back that we're not in the homes with, with our children? What's, what's going on there? Well, 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 well. You're asking certainly a loaded question that could probably take three or four episodes on your program to address those particular issues. Because what I humbly submit to what I humbly submit to anyone is that there is no man or woman that wants to see their progeny, their child, suffer because of their behavior. Nobody wants to see their child, and no no one doesn't love their children. It's just that they, there's some level of ignorance, there's some level of arrogance, there's some level of uh, foolishness and all the other components that you can add to individuals on why, they children are, why their children are not successful, and, and we'll keep here adding this all day long. But I, what I will submit that most men, they want to fight for their children. It was just from the very core, the very foundation of when the child was conceived, there was no plan to have a family. When you start from the fundamental problem that there is no baseline for what you're doing, that you are not going to follow the prescripted course of actions necessary for children to have a higher probability of success, and that is through marriage first, children later. If you don't follow that like the rest of the world knows to follow it, we can go to Papua New Guinea. We can go to some Malaysian, distant Malaysian uh, islands. All of those primitive cultures know that they're supposed to get married first, then they have children. If you take that formula out of context, you are opening up the doors for you to set your children up for failure, and any any success that you do get out of it, those are the exceptions to the rule. Mm. Well, Andrew, uh, it's encouraging to hear you say that – 
that black men are not running around patting each other on the back for those uh, very dismal numbers. Because <laughs> it's certainly right. no, uh, no, 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 man, no, no, John. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm sorry, but I said no, no, men nor women. But I will give you this last one. Hopefully, if women are listening, they can take this under their belt as well to, and, and apply it. Because I would submit to you and anyone else, and would love to debate anyone that the overwhelming majority of young ladies. And if you go back and listen to Elijah Muhammad, Marcus Garvey, and other prominent leaders, and I'm just mentioning the black ones because it's probably a lot of black folk listening to the program, is that most of them sure. talk about their work, 75% of their work or more, are with the women. Because the one key problem that we have, believe it or not, and I think you know me long enough to know I, I, I preach this all the time, is out of wedlock birth. If you solve that problem, most of your problems go away. And we're talking about reproductive problems. We're not talking about sex. We're talking about reproduction. And this is for the ladies. Reproduction problems are 100% a female's responsibility, not a male's responsibility. Reproduction. I didn't say sex. I could care less how many times a woman has sex or who she has sex with. That is her business. I could care less. It doesn't do anything. It's when you allow yourself to become impregnated when you're not married, that is where the problem starts, and until you fix that, nothing else will be solved, and we'll keep chasing our tails and never get anything done. Yeah, I, I think you make a great point and a very interesting one, um, and, and it's certainly when we talk about, um, you said if we solve that one problem, that one problem, and certainly uh, we often talk about um, that magic bullet, and it sounds like uh, we're saying that ma- um, that marriage that marriage would certainly solve some of the social problems that we often talk about and things of that nature, but maybe we need to do a follow-up show or figuring out, uh, try to figure out, is it the value system? Is it just the philosophy that we currently hold today? And if it's that, is that the only thing that uh, prohibits us from um, uh, from marriage, or or are there some other factors as well, Andrew? Maybe you have to come back to the show and we could talk further. Can about I say that one last thing? Can I say sure, one last sure. thing, John? To you, absolutely. One last absolutely. thing that you could take away. One thing, last thing that you could possibly take away, and others could take away, is that when you go look at economic numbers, financial numbers for families and poverty, people in poverty, well, marriage couples, their poverty rate is around eight percent. Over ninety something percent of married black people are not living in poverty. So I think that number right there tells you something. Repeat those numbers for me again. Say that one more time. I said over over 90% of black married couples are not living in poverty. The others are the ones who who are not married. The higher numbers, 90-some percent, come from single-family households. I think that tells you something. Well, it certainly incentivizes one towards marriage when they understand what those numbers represent and what those numbers mean and what that could mean to them personally as well as their families uh, um, in general. So uh, I appreciate you sharing those numbers, and we certainly have to do a follow-up conversation and talk specifically about uh, what's really going on if marriage is that important um, and where do we go from here. So I definitely appreciate the call. And calls, I appreciate and okay. those of you Thanks. who are holding the line. I appreciate those of you who are holding the line. I appreciate Appreciate you for um, listening in today as we've had today's important conversation about defining manhood, what men are taught, and what women believe. Folks, you can join us each and every Sunday, 5.30 Central Standard Time as we engage you in thought-provoking conversations like the one, like the conversation you heard today. Folks, we run the gamut as to what we, um, issues that we raise and concerns that we raise over here at MTAS, but certainly it's information that you can use and information that is important. Uh, to your families and your respective community. And what's important to our community is important um, to the country. Why is that? Because, um, as many would say, uh, black lives matter. Uh, well, the black family matters. It really matters to me. So, folks, um, again, continue to be good to yourselves and good to your families. You can um, call my office for all of your insurance needs, questions, and concerns at 773-881-9555, 773-881-9555. Folks, remember, millions of Americans are currently running the risk of losing their insurance protection. That is not a good situation to be in. And as we talk about defining manhood, we know that part of that is protection, providing for our families and making sure our families are um, 
economically secure. Again, 773-881-9555. Let's not continue to put off the importance of life insurance. And folks, join us online, www.m-tas.org. Also like us on Facebook, that's Money Than a Sword. And until next week, 530. Take care, take care, take care. The fighting manhood, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.